Welcome to the Shield Wall Podcast, where tempered men are formed. And we are back. You're listening to the Shield Wall Podcast. I'm Ethan. I'm Seth. I'm Cody. So today we have an excellent conversation about Bible translations. It's a good choice. Yeah, I think so too. This is a hot topic, guys. <laughs> a lot of people get tripped up on this. A lot of people who are um, people who are new to the church, you know, um, or have been going to church for, for 10, 15, 20 years. Um, so I wanted to start off by reading uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and imp- and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Then I wanted to follow that up with uh, Matthew 5, 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Man. Amen. There's some bold claims right there. Bold claims. Boom. It's a bold claim, Cotton. You got something to back that up with? <laughs> I do. I have the word of God. Wow. What is it? What is uh <laughs> what does David say when he this slings? Is, this is a great banner, guys. <laughs> <laughs> David slings How the about rock, those he uniforms. comes in the name of the Lord, and like the, the rock is the medium by which God used um, to knock out Goliath, but it was the name of the Lord which probably gave it power and gave it emphasis. And I think that's what maybe we're going to get at today is the, the Word of God has got power behind it. And when we speak it, proclaim it, read it, I mean, we have salvation through it. It is a means which God has used, and um, why is it necessary for us to get into why are there so many Bible translations? Yeah, that's a good question. Cross your mind when you're walking through a lifeway why there are so many different Bibles that aren't actually the Word of God, but they say Bible on them? That's well, a hit. Can you, can you clarify that? Sorry, I'm just joking. <laughs> that's, a, that's a sensitive topic, guys. Lifeway you go is in... like the Christian... <laughs> Golden calf, but you go in careful, and you see the word like careful. woman's Bible study or um, you know men's Bible, uh, whatever it would be, and then you see the translation marks at the bottom. It says NLT or the Message, or you see like some different set of um, you know letter or numbers or letters there, and you're like, what is that translation? And you open it up, and you're like, oh, that looks like it's the Word of God. When you start reading it, it doesn't seem familiar to you. Mm-hmm. It's and not, why are there so many? And it's not like what you heard growing up. Yeah. So what? That is a fancy looking Bible, Cody. Jeez, that thing. Yes, this is. What is that? This is <laughs> a 2017 edition of the Schuyler New American Standard Version Bible. Uh, it is calfskin. I'm not going right. to tell you the price, but so that is more foundationally what like what. How, and how was the script? I didn't get no street cred for that one. <laughs> All right. Sorry, man. Uh, your question is not done, more about sir. the contents. This is the sword, the word of God. How was it formed? What, where did it? How did it originate? Explain oh well, we're gonna just dive right into that, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Right God, the bat. God has given to us. He has revealed to us His word. Mm-hmm. So God has given to us every word that we have here. Uh, no word that has ever come to the mouth of a prophet or through the pen of a, an apostle has ever been inspired or come up conjured by the minds of men. It has all been breathed out or carried out along with uh, the, the, whole, the Holy Spirit, His superintendence. And so every word that we read, every dot, every comma, um, every placement of the T and the crossing of the... T. T. Crossing of the T, <laughs> dotting of the I. See, I err, but the Word of God does not err. Crossing no. of the eyes. And um, the... That is what I'm holding here. We believe that this is the preserved Word of God. This is the inherent This is the inerrant and infallible Word of God, and it is a beautiful thing to find one that accurately represents the original manuscripts because the question would ask, if God inspired it, did he inspire every word? And if he inspired every word, what was the original language? Oh, so, so you're, not, you're saying it's not written... 
in English from you know originally. So. It's not the uh, pure King James only, the original English. So so the the actual original manuscripts are written in Hebrew, Hebrew or Greek, okay. depending or on which depending on which you're. I mean, all of the Old Testament is written written in Greek or it, Hebrew, written in Greek, yeah. Hebrew, and then all of the New Testament books, the uh, Greek. Yeah. yeah, you'd have the Old Testament written in uh, Greek, where so you get the word Septuagint. It's the Greek understanding of seven seventy, because that's the yeah, the idea of seventy scribes or seventy elders that were writing down the Old Testament. So you do have the Old Testament written in Greek, but it's a translation from the Hebrew. And then in the New Testament, you do get the Aramaic, which is found in certain papyra, but predominantly you're going to get Greek. You're going mm-hmm. to get Koinonia Greek, and uh, why why? Why is my Bible in English? I mean, these are questions some people might ask mm-hmm. if they find out that their original language is in Greek. And it's a good question. It is a good question. And how do we answer that? Because every man needs to hear the word of God in his own tongue. Right. That's true. Because, I mean, even in Acts chapter point? 2, when the Holy Spirit descended and baptized the apostles, Peter's sermon, well, not just Peter, but the apostles when they began preaching and proclaiming the word of God. Every man heard it in his own tongue. Clearly it is important because uh, if you come up and you just start talking to somebody in German, you have no idea what German is, how is that beneficial to you? You don't, it, that doesn't impart any understanding, any revelation. It's cool that that, the mir- that miracle was fundamentally so everyone could understand it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And that idea is suppressed later on in history, but we won't touch on that just yet. But so another passage, I guess, to um, intercept your thoughts. Intercepted. <laughs> Intercepted. Take it away, Cody. Is Romans chapter 10, verses 14, where, where Paul is talking about that. Like, how will they call upon him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? It's very hard unless you have the gift of interpretation of tongues, known languages, yep. that um, you have somebody coming into town and they're speaking this gospel truth, but it's in a language that nobody knows. Mm-hmm. And so a translation in a known language that is receiving the gospel from a preacher, maybe a church missionary is coming through, and they settle up camp and they say, what language do you speak? And then they start to translate the Bible into that known language. That's actually something of, almost of of a phenomenon that happened post the early church age. Yeah, and you start to see the reason for that is to try to get out the word because it might. Well, we can talk about the history of it might have been uh, concealed into a church. On that note, we live we live in the D.C. metropolitan area, and one of the one of the big exciting things for a lot of Christians in this area was the opening of the Bible Museum. Right, yeah. yeah. You guys been to the Bible, Bible Museum I've been yet? outside of it and I have not gone I haven't yet. been into it either. Have you been? <laughs> I have not. I've oh, seen man. pictures. We need to do a Shield Wall, pa- Shield Wall podcast field trip to the Bible to Museum. To the Bible Museum right oh, after yeah. this. One of the coolest exhibits there is a library of Bibles in right. all of the translations, I think even ancient and modern that we could find. Oh, nice. Really cool. Really cool. They had, they had they have some copies of of um I don't they're not the actual but like the the, the Greek manuscripts like they have a copy of the te- the uh, a photocopy of the text te- textus receptus Ooh. and all of those all of those fundamental fundamental texts so yeah we should go it'd be fun I would enjoy that um, with you, with us three yeah <laughs> yeah. They probably wouldn't let us back in. No, it, it'd no, be a lot of fun. They have uh, the Mana Cafe. That's that's something I do know that they have. Aside from the library, they have all those Bibles there. But they have they have something in there. I don't know if it's called Hebrews Coffee, but they got something <laughs> as tacky as that as so well. So tacky. Yeah, my, yeah, I got pictures, and I hear it's phenomenal. So, uh, just to bring it back though to to why we have this, these translations, even the Great Commission, Jesus Himself says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I mean, right there. Just want to dwell on that for a moment. All yeah. authority. Now, I want you to imagine that what follows is being spoken by someone who has all authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit 
teaching them buzzwords here, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So there is this commission to go to all nations and teach. And any teacher can tell you that you need to be speaking the same language as your students. It's kind of fundamental to communication. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Can you hear us? (laughs) So therefore, we need to be able to articulate the scriptures Mm-hmm. in a way that is true and accurate uh, so that we can teach people about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and all that Jesus has commanded us. So that's what we're going to get into right now. So, yeah, The idea that it says right in there, a, a, a disciple, a student, a student of the Word, essentially, a student of the Word, capital W, Jesus, is uh, like very paramount to the commission, they can only know the word by studying the word, or at least being exposed to the word. And um, there was an, there was events in the, the history of the church that uh, developed where it became necessary for people to translate the language of the Bible from the Greek to um, other variants of an approved language, the Latin, the Latin yeah. Vulgate, and that became the staple within the church, um, in the early church at least, where that was read from from the pulpit, it was preached from, it was taught, it was the known common language. Greek language sort of fell out of prominence as the everyday norm, Mm -hmm. and then the Latin language sort of uh, became the official language of the church. There's a whole reason for that. But there was events happening, maybe you can speak to this, as to why we now have these English Bibles that are filled with beautiful descriptions of who God is, the King James Bible, prior to that, the the Wycliffe Bible, the translation mm-hmm. at least that comes to us um, through his efforts. And down the line, you have further ones where the, it's the Revised Standard Version, the American Standard Version. We have ones called the New American, or the New International Version. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the ESV. You know, how did we get to, to this point where we have different variations and who decided what committees were going to um how they were going to interpret the bible were they going to make a uh, real literal translation or were they going to make paraphrase you have so these, many questions some of these Cody. things i think we need you to have answer so many, so questions, many questions, Cody. questions how could you be leading a podcast <laughs> if you have so many questions that's what i want to know <laughs> i want these answers <laughs> so one of the one of the things that it, that is important to to realize guys is here um talking about so the scripture the Bible that we know it today, English for most of most of the listeners here, um, that has been translated from the original language, from the language that Scripture was penned in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, across all languages, the Old Testament makes up is made up of over eight hundred different manuscripts, just mm-hmm. of the Old Testament. Eight hundred. Yeah, and that does not even compare to the New Testament. The New Testament. The New Testament is made up of over 20,000 manuscripts. I'm talking manuscripts from from pieces the size of a credit card to pieces, the, uh, manuscripts of complete books. Like codexes. Codexes, like, exactly. Yeah. Like if you Google... Um, um, Codex, Codex Vaticanus is one of the real... is one of the ones I've heard mentioned a lot. You can see pictures of these. Like mm-hmm. you can see where someone in the first century penned this with a quill on yeah. papyri. It's crazy. Like 20,000 20, of these. Um, I heard it said one time that if you stack up all the all the manuscripts of the New Testament, I think it's like over a mile high or something like that. Jeez. It might have been 100. It might have been like half a mile or something, but it's mentioned in, in uh, God's Not Dead 2, I think. That's it's one of the things that's mentioned there. Anyway, um, so yeah, there are hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of manuscripts of, of the Bible. Um, and it's one of the, I mean, it is the most, the most preserved ancient text it, in history. Of all of the works of antiquity, it has the most manuscripts for it. Mm-hmm. More than, like, in so much more than any other writing of that era. I mean, Shakespeare has like 1,600. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. But and I mean, the Odyssey too is a good example. The Odyssey doesn't even compare to right. the amount of manuscripts. It's like three. Scripture. Or, yeah. It's very low. Yeah. Like Philo, 
the uh, and the variants it's between like those manuscripts are vast are vast and vital um but i mean we can talk about that a little bit but yeah let's let's go into it so you you mentioned variants mm-hmm. so are there variants between the 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 manuscripts of scripture cuz those would be important to talk about yeah one you thing you mean error uh i do no. not mean errors error. no no it's no. it's different no we're talking about grammatical structure of sentences where in greek it's not as important as it is in in english to get like your word structure correct i mean obviously there is a a technique to it but where ours is like you know john has a dog it's not necessary in greek for all of those things to be you know put in that exact order the syntax is more loose right it's more flexibility um, there. so you'll have orders that vary but it doesn't affect the outcome of the the translation or the outcome of the readability of the sentence mm-hmm. like the information is is exactly there does the theology change no so that stays the same yes that's I heard a really a, good thing. Yeah, I was I was watching a uh, a I guess a pr- for lack of a better word a primer uh, that James White did on 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 textual variance and um, textual criticism, and he had a really cool presentation where he had um, he had six verses in English of the same verse like listed one after the other, and there was one word changed in each one. Mm-hmm. But when you compare all of them together, if you kind of like smash them all together, it's just so clear what the sentence says. And that's that's how scripture is translated. We've like thought scholars and theologians view these manuscripts and say, okay, we have we have a sentence here that is in a hundred manuscripts. What does the sentence say? It's not too difficult when you have a hundred copies of a sentence to figure out what the sentence is trying to communicate, word for word. Right. And even looking, not even in the Greek, but in the Hebrew, um, the the importance of transmitting the scriptures from generation to generation and writing down God's word with accuracy was incredibly important. If you were a scribe and you made a mistake, I mean, you corrected it, but then if you made two mistakes— you just burned that copy and you started over. You did not want to make those mistakes. Then that's that is how they transmitted these texts over a long period of time, where you didn't have the ability to preserve paper like we do, you know, in humidity controlled environments and and all that. So, so there has always been a there has always been a, a huge focus and um got a brain fart sorry huge focus on preserving the scriptures that men received from god and transmitting that to the generation after that with accuracy so that they would not be led astray so they would know the truth okay so we have all of these manuscripts right and it's clear what they say when you when you compare them to each other so how do we then translate them from the original language either greek or hebrew to english Mm -hmm. they're kind of like two two realms of thought here. Did you want to go into that, Cody? No, you, you got this. Okay. So <laughs> on a so there's there's two there's two schools of thought here. It's it's I'm just hanging back, listening. Cody's just chilling. He's just chilling. Uh, there are two schools of thought here um that that scholars kind of lump themselves in lump themselves into. It's right. thought for thought translation and a literal literal translation. Mm-hmm. And I like the words because they're easier to remember. You wrote out some fancier words, but I like my words better because they're easier, <laughs> easier to remember and they're self-explanatory. Yes. Um, it, it's what it sounds like. So he's referring to uh, dynamic equivalent versus formal equivalent, which those are not my oh, words. Oh, man. Those aren't he Cody's words. He swoops in. But those, Cody swoops two, in. Th- those two will carry some weight. When you go into textual criticism and when you go into the philosophy of translations, those are the standard terms that are used and yeah. they, they convey what you're going to talk about. Yeah, so... On a high level, there's there's translations that kind of fall into m- one category and not the other, but there there are translations that are that kind of straddle the line. So a thought for thought translation is trying to understand the thought that God was trying to convey by a certain piece of scripture, and a literal translation is trying to translate every single word in the original language directly to English, which can get kind of tricky. When you're talking about syntax, because like 
like Seth was saying, the syntax of Hebrew and the syntax of Greek are different fundamentally than English. And there, I mean, Greek, for example, Greek has several more different verb tenses than English does. Yeah. And also idioms are lost too. I have an interesting example here. Um, so idioms, when you're talking about Hebrew, do not necessarily directly translate to English. So I have an example here. This is Amos 4.6. This is the New American Standard Bible translation, which is a very literal, literal translation. I'm reading it word for word here. It says, but I gave you also cl- cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. What does cleanness of teeth mean? He gave him Crickets. water. He gave him provision. Colgate. He gave him cre- crest. Close. Uh, Close. He gave him blessing. <laughs> Close. He gave him health. So when you when you look at the original language here, Hebrew, and when you compare this to other translations, People who were clean had clean teeth in that context were people who are hungry. Mm. Because when you don't have anything to eat, you have clean teeth. So nothing between so, your teeth, not necessarily. Exactly. Exactly. Got it. So what this verse is saying here in a thought for thought translation, paraphrasing, is 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 as follows. But I gave you hunger in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. You have not returned to me. So what God is saying here is he's punishing these people by making them hungry and not giving them bread to satisfy their hunger. Right. So there there is there is a little bit lost here mm-hmm. when you when you translate the Hebrew directly to English. Yeah. So then that brings up the question and it is the most asked question that I've encountered, my wife used to work at a Lifeway, guys. That was my so, joke originally. Yeah. Uh-huh. I almost fell out of my chair. It was uh, an easy, low-hanging so, jab. Sorry. You know, anyway. Seth's wife is a very faithful Christian woman. She's an incredible oh, she mother and, and wife. She is Godly a woman in all beautiful lives. gem. So, very steadfast. Uh, so I asked, yes, very steadfast. I asked her what she would be asked when people would come in about Bibles. What was the most asked question? And she said, the most asked question is, what is the best translation of the Bible? And that's what we're going to answer tonight for you guys. Yes. So anybody want to wrap it up? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, we have a lot more for you. See, I think that, I mean, you're probably having a thought, but in my mind, I have one real quick. I want to get out. Yeah, go ahead. That is such a subjective question. It is. And it goes back to the subjective nature that some translators can take with the Bible. Every he, translator Ethan, has a bias. That's Ethan important to just gave a really good description right there. He, he wrote, read the scripture. And you could, you could probably, from a translator's perspective, make a um, reinterpretation or a, an, you can infer from that a lot of different ways to make this make sense in the current culture's vernacular, mm-hmm. syntax or dynamic um use of new words or use of words. And so it's not a bad question, but it comes down to um, some of these Bibles are 11th grade reading level. Yeah. Some of them are third grade reading level. Mm -hmm. And like our biblical literacy is not right out of the box. Like it takes some time for you to get used to the Bible language. Yeah. So when you hear idioms and you hear things like, what you'll see in the book of Proverbs or the book of uh, Psalms, you might only get that exposure by reading the Bible. So the best Bible for you, that's sub- subjective in a, in a sense, is um, going to be answered probably the longer you you are um, you know, reading the Bible, getting the Bible language into you, and understanding what um, components go into make up Bible history, Bible grammar, Bible um, archaeology, and how it was taken uh, from its original context and now given to you 2,000 years later, like, what do you make, how do you make sense of what the language is used? I remember when I, when I started reading the New American Standard Bible more, and it was tough. Like some of the verses, some of the verses are, are tough to understand because it is a more literal translation. People, I've heard people describe the New American Standard Version as wooden. Like it's kind uh, of rough sometimes, yeah. you know, um, but really the more I started reading it, the more like, okay, this makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. and in my own personal Bible study, I, I, I read the, uh, 
the ESV primarily, and then I sub- supplement it with the New American Standard. One of, what I really like about the New American Standard is I like being able to go to uh, Blue Letter Bible, view the interlinear Greek translation, and see every word, or almost every word with the exception of like an A or an is, every single word in English with the Greek equivalent. That is encouraging to me. When I can yeah. see like English on one side, direct translation on the other, I think, okay, I know what I'm reading here. I know that it's accurate to the original language. I, I have a story. So we, uh, we help out with a place called Another Chance Church. And it's, it is what it sounds like. So we, we prepare meals on a certain night, our church does. One thing that they do is they like to have somebody get up and do a gospel presentation or say a prayer. So uh, I was called to do that. Then somebody pulled me aside afterwards and said, hey, this guy, he heard what you said and uh, he wants to talk to you. I began talking to him. He's a heroin addict. He just Mm. got off the street. Mm. And something that I said resonated with him. Well, I began to say, okay, well, do you have a Bible? And no, no, man. I go, okay. So I try and find a Bible. And the question is, well, what's his reading level? And he says, the, the Bibles are over there. And I went over and they're all KJV. Hmm. And I got a little bit discouraged. I didn't even give him a Bible because like this, this guy can't read KJV. Yeah. Um, now somebody may say that was wrong, but I, uh, I like, I just honestly did not think he was going to be able to read that and get anything out of it. Uh, so the question, what is the best translation? There, There's also an underlying, I mean, so that story goes to the subjectivity. The underlying question of that is, I love God and I want to know God's truth. Are all of these translations reliable? And that's... that's that's the question that they're actually asking. What is the best translation means which is the most reliable. So then is there a more reliable translation among all of these translations that we have? Because we have a lot. Yeah, there is a lot. There's, there's, I don't even know how many English translations there are, you know, but there are, I mean, I, I was doing research, uh, some research for this and I, I looked up the most popular ones and just on the, the list with the percentage there's King James Version, New uh, New International Version, English Standard Version, New King James, Amplified, Christian Community, New American Standard, and like five others. So I there there's there's a lot. There's a lot out there. Yeah. But it's really easy to find resources for understanding what type of translation all of these are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did a single Google search difference between Bible English Bible translations. And I got a handy table that li- lays <laughs> out the translation, uh, a comparison of a verse. It's, it's br- really brief overview of, of where, where the translation came from and whether it's word for word or, or, um, or thought for thought. So I just wanted to roll through a few of these sure, for you for guys, it. just the popular ones, just so you guys can kind of have a con some context here. Um, so, I'm just going to read through some of the, the really popular ones. So Christian Standard Bible. Um, so I'm going to read through the, the, the name and the translation philosophy and then the target audience for you guys so you guys can get some good context. Okay. All right. What's up first? All right. Christian Standard Bible. The coming CSB. Down, CSB. It's the, uh, isn't that the Baptist Bible? Yeah, like the Baptist numero uno? It just recently got rolled out. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people like it. Actually, a it's lot a, of the Christian, a, nice a lot of Christians that I know, like it. Uh, um, swoops in, swoops in. in. Cody, Cody, Charles swoops in. Um, so this, the translation philosophy here is optimal equivalence places equal value on faithfulness to the original text and readability for a modern audience. So we're talking about a blend between formal. Yeah, it's and dynamic, kind of in the middle. Right? Uh, we're talking that? about thought for thought. Thought for thought. I'm gonna sweep in again. Yeah, okay. You can feel free to sweep in. Sweep it's on in. the. It's on the. If you're looking at a spectrum of right to left, mm-hmm. left being less literal, it's on the left spectrum. So like more. It's in the center. More thought for thought than left center. center. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and it, and it, that the uh, the CSB is meant for wide audiences. 
Um, so here we go. The English standard version. The ESV. Fan favorite. Fan, fan favorite, favorite among the, bro- the brothers here. Yeah. So this is a word-for-word translation and is geared towards Bible readers of all ages. Right. That's my go-to as far as the casual reading is concerned. When I go into more serious study, I will go into NASB and do ESV next to it. And they've um, come up with a unique term for them to try to set them apart from the dynamic form- formal um, component. Right. Oh, I'm sorry, the formal equivalent. They've stated that they are, it's going to confuse some people, essentially literal. Mm. Mm. Make sure, make sure that's, mm. Mm. that sounds like a caveat to me, Cody. <laughs> Even people who are like hardcore, like word for word, are like, nah, you're not, you're not really saying anything when you say that. It's word salad. <laughs> are yeah. you word for word then? Anyway, I just want to throw that out there. Essentially, no. Hmm. <laughs> Sketchy. Anyway. And then we got the King James Version, which is a word for word. Handed down King by God James. himself. Did you know that God breathed his word? into 16th century English. Did you know that? With the Apocrypha included. Mm. Just so you know. The original <laughs> 1611 had the Apocrypha. Mm. 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 The King James Version is a hot topic among... If you, we should do a whole so, podcast. We so, let's, so before we, we continue this, though, I will say that there is there is good history behind the KJV. Like, Definitely. Snark aside, no, no, no. The, the KJV has been... Is a has been a boon to the spread of the gospel throughout the world, throughout America, for sure. Um, if you go to the opening, to I know both of you guys have ESVs. Go to them; you'll, okay. you'll see all right, all right. in the very beginning. I don't know if mine has it, but they will say in the uh, translation committee's opening statements mm-hmm. um, that this translation for your ESV. Right here, it says, preface to the New American Standard Bible, and you guys can look on yours. It says, the history of the English Bible translations, in the history, the King James Version is the most prestigious. This time-honored version of the 1611 itself, a revision of the Bishop's Bible of 1568, became the basis for the English Revised Version, appearing in 1881. What I'm getting at is my New American Standard Bible gives credence to the King James Version. Yeah. So your ESV preface introductory notes from the translation committee says that we follow in the King James uh, translation history. So we make those jokes because there's, there's a lot of people who make a big deal about being King James only list, but our, our, our Bibles who try to be more essentially literal, uh, we try to be more word for word in their preface give credence to the King James Bible. So I just wanted to say that. Yeah, that's 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 a good thing to note. And and for all of the Christians out there who who might not know why we're we're kind of singling out the King James version, for those who don't know, there's a there's a there's a group within Christian evangelicalism that that holds that the King James version is the only translation to read. The only mm. translation. And I'm not saying like, oh, they they flex here and there. Like they believe it's the only translation. And if you read anything else, you're reading a tainted word from Satan. Yeah. Not exaggerating. You know? Yeah, I, well, I mean, a... one of our friends grew up in this in this in this history, Nate, Nate one Dog. of our buddies, Nate. Um, you know, he grew up in a in a in a fundamental Baptist household. And he never read a translation other than the King James Version growing up. Yeah. And it was to him, and I don't think this is a bad thing. It was to him the voice of God. It was to him the word of God. When he opened up the word of God in the King James language, it was as if he became so familiar with it. And I think that maybe that's a concluding thought that we could come to, is that you probably should stick to one version primarily so yeah. that you might become familiar. Uh-huh. You should be able to. But I think we you should be able to quote verses in, in a single translation. I think quoting verses from here and quoting verses from there, jumping back back and forth between translations can kind of be messy. But when you get to the point where you're like, it's the only version ever and is actually the preserved text and in its original form, you start getting into the language of the original manuscripts. That's the language you should only apply to the original manuscripts. Then you come to a point where it's like, Bro, that's a little cultish. Like, can we can we say like <laughs> yeah. maybe there's a little bit of uh, an obsession? The problem the problem really comes in is when you focus so much on a single translation, you get the the discerning eye of of Christian scholars. You know, like you don't want to be so 
gung-ho about what you personally believe that you don't want to listen to valid criticism. I mean, one of my personal favorite theologians, Dr. James White, he talks about this cult, for lack of a better term, this 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 cultish movement in, Christ, in Christendom a lot because he has debated men who hold to this. It really affects the mind and how you perceive other brethren and yeah. how you like either value them or you don't value them on the same um, you know, spiritual equal playing field where we're one in Christ. A great example of this is James White's interview with Steven Anderson, who, I mean, Steven Anderson <laughs> is... Cody laughs because it's ridiculous <laughs> because it is he's, like listen to Jane, listen to this interview hop on YouTube and go to um, he'll hop on his uh, pedestal too Dr. James White full interview and um, ticket it, I mean you can see James White bringing <laughs> what are you laughing at Just, he stands on top of his pulpit and screams and talks about nobody's going to heaven except for who's hearing my voice right now it's a, it's a shame he's, it's, it's pretty yeah it's a shame sorry yeah, so in this interview, you can see how James White, an expert, I mean, James White was on the council for the New American Standard Version. He's going to get his doctorate in ancient Greek. You know, he knows his stuff. He knows the manuscripts backwards and forwards. He teaches out of Greek. Like, he doesn't open up his New American Standard English translation. He pulls up Greek on Sunday mornings he when he verbatim. preaches and preaches it verbatim from Greek. So he knows his stuff. So listen to this interview and kind of listen to their dialogue back and forth and just like, just consider it. Yeah. Like if you're in this camp, just just consider what James White says, you know? I guess one of the things to, to point out as to what we're saying is that this stuff matters to a lot of people. And yeah. I think historically it's mattered for many different reasons. Mm-hmm. The yeah. King James controversy is its own controversy, but it gave rise to the ability for a lot of people in the English language to not only break the chains of religion in the most rigorous and demonic form of that, that you had people believing the true gospel for the first time in centuries Yeah, because it was like wildfire. It just spread. When the word of God is unleashed, you get people who not only see and perceive uh, what God has said, but what he's promised. And all of his promises are true. And you only got down to the King James version on that. I so, know there's like two or three other ones, but yeah, there's yeah. so many more versions that are available to us. And let me let me interject here, if you don't mind, to dispel another common misconception is that the the English translations that we have are dilutions of the King James version, as them, in yeah. you know the NIV was just a reworking of the wording in the KJV to make it more acceptable, and that's not the case. Um, all of these translations go back to the original text. Yeah. Go back to the original manuscripts. Even the re-versions, like the ones that come like as a revision, Yeah, they will take into the consideration the manuscripts. Yeah. Not just going back and saying, oh, we need to do an update, like the King James Version. Well, the New King James Version is just a re... But they make sure to go back to the original manuscripts and look at and make sure that they're not making errors that should be correct, that should not be corrected. Is that is that on your list? Sorry? Is that on your list? New King James? Yeah. Yeah, it's right here. NKJV! Um, they consulted um, with when they did the New American Standard 71 and even 95 revisions. They went back, even though they had their manuscripts, they went back and made sure that everything that they revised from the original was placed in there in the 71, right? So when they went back to look at even the Bishop's Bible, it was a revision like they went back to the original manuscripts alongside of the Bishop's Bible when they made the King James Version, which is a tradition that all translations, even the ones we don't like, yeah, they've done. They've tried their best to go back to the original and in comparison to whatever they're making an update from. Yeah. So what I have here for the New King James Version is... Uh, Authors used the original King James as a benchmark while working to produce an accurate and modern world, were a modern word-for-word translation. Uh, those who want readable translation, translation of the Bible, that is great, great for study and maintains the poetry of the King James version. So, what's important to realize here is that the the translators of the New King James version tried to hold fast to the King James Version as much as possible. 
That's mm-hmm. that's kind of the philosophy there. They, while maintaining word for word. They did that in 1982, which is not too long ago. Mm-hmm. So you have a 1611 version that they tried to keep intact. And what they did was they didn't take things away or put things into a bracket at the bottom and say this wasn't in earlier manuscripts. Right. They tried to preserve and they just switched out these thighs and placements of punctuation. Mm-hmm. So another, another question that I commonly get um, is... Scripture has, quote, Scripture has been translated so many times. Hasn't there be, been things lost in translation? I would ask that that question needs to present the evidence. And I would ask whether or not that question is saying that original language or a, a, original um, theological precision has been lost. Yeah. And I would ask those questions before I want to even give an answer. Yeah. Like, what do you mean when you say lost? Because if we're talking about the accuracy of its interpretation, that's a question of philosophy. Did the translators translate something from the original translation that might not be as accurate? Sure. Yeah. But what you can't say is that we've lost the original manuscripts. We have that. Yeah. yeah. And so maybe that's a question. We have question. more of them now than we've ever had. I mean, and, we have 20,000 of just the New Testament. Yeah. And, and they're, you can read them. Yeah, yeah. If, go online, actually. Yeah, and it's not like anyone's hiding anything. You yeah. can read these manuscripts. It's manuscripts. Manuscripts. You can read these manuscripts, and you can make decisions for yourself. Absolutely. It requires you to know to Greek and Hebrew. But, but you have a, the tools available to look at it. Yeah. Christians have more tools Rosetta now. Stone and learn <laughs> ancient Greek. Like, what if, what if some of yeah. the, what if the reformers had the tools that we had today? Yeah, I don't... Crazy. They were flipping the world upside down when Paul was on the earth, and then they pretty much went dormant after the church decided a lot of doctrinal issues, and they hid the word of God from the people. Do you guys want to go into that? That's kind of a a touchy subject. When we get to the point where we're overexposed with the word of God, I think we might be in that place. Well, we're overexposed, but we're not not seeing any fruit from that. Yeah. Pursuing it. It's not a passion of ours. We don't see it as life and death. You can download the app. You can go online. It's almost as if the access to it creates some sort of distance. It's a co- it, it kind of breeds a complacency. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah. We have this complacency for that. And you have many you choices. Lukewarmness. Luke, Absolutely. Christ yeah. had very strong words for the people who were lukewarm. Where'd I you, spit what, you out of my mouth. What version is that in? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> All of them, because all of the major translations don't have doctrinal different, real doctrin- doctrinal differences between translations. Yeah. yeah. If we want to summarize the two points of the formal equivalent versus dynamic, you could, like you were saying, word for word versus thought for thought. So word for word formal. Word for word is more formal, or a complete, mm-hmm. more of an arrogant way of saying it, or a, a literal, uh, um, essentially literal. And then the uh, thought for thought is something where you're going to get more of a more room for the current vernacular, current yeah. language, modern understandings of certain words and placements of structure, um, stuff between the teeth versus clean teeth. Yeah. yeah, like they're trying to clear up the maybe discontinuity. And then there's one area where I think we should touch on, and is the paraphrase. Ooh, which is uh, not technically a translation. It is no. literally somebody's effort to try to make the words, not even from the original Greek, but from available translations in the English into a more accessible ver- version of a Bible. And yeah. one of those is the the, mes- the Message Bible. And then uh, you can read that for yourself. Actually, in its, its opening lines, it says this is not a, this is not technically a Bible. Yeah. This is a project that uh, a man worked on for years and years and years, and he wanted the effort to make the language in the common use in the vernacular. Isn't the New Living Translation a paraphrase too, Cody? The New Living Translation floats between uh, thought for thought, and it definitely has within it components of paraphrasing. Now, its philosophy comes from thought for thought, and I think that you can argue some of the passages flow like they're paraphrasing. But when you do a comparison, like you were saying, it does fall into the category of being faithful. But in my understanding, some of the renderings, it's less faithful to more of a uh, literal 
translation and even less faithful sometimes even to a thought for thought translation yeah i wanted to i wanted to go back real quick i'm gonna let you finish but um, <laughs> i'm gonna let you finish back to the question that i that that i get a lot um is hasn't there been things lost in translation from mm-hmm. when um you go from greek to latin to greek to english to swahili etc cetera, etc cetera. right any insert any language you yeah. know i think yeah. i think a lot of people in the church and a lot of people who are critical of the church they don't understand that when i have my english standard version here and when i open it i'm getting a direct english translation from greek or hebrew depending on where i open my bible yeah it's not oh it was translated from greek to latin to greek then greek then and then to english it's english i'm reading in english it's 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 from greek directly to english you know that's that's basically from the writer's hand to english to your absolutely. eyes. Yeah, absolutely. And you can, I mean, New American Standard is great for this. If you guys want to read a a really solid Bible translation, New American Standard, literal, um, word for word, you know, if you if you pull up a Greek translation of the New American Standard, view the English on the other side, you'll see words on each side, you know, like it's it's there. You know, the words are there. There's mm-hmm. not there's not words added here, words added there, words paraphrased, you know. So you go with uh in a SB, the NASB, and the ESV as your primary? That's a, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, um, I primarily read the ESV. Why is that? <laughs> you know, I've, I've struggled with this before. Um, Do tell. It's a safe there space. There are not a lot of, there are a lot of, there are not a lot of NASB translations that are in editions that I enjoy. <laughs> you talking about what, like, what sort of editions? You're talking about editions, like new editions? Um, no, uh, I re my, my preferred reading Bible is a goatskin thin line. You don't like that pigskin? <laughs> I do. I do. Um, but the thing is there's not a sub $190 <laughs> new American standard so, goatskin thin line that I can buy currently. So I'm in, I see, I feel that struggle. You know, I, I like a really nice Bible and I'm not saying it because I, am haughty or anything like that i i i will read it more if i enjoy it you know i can, if i I, right. I, can, I will read it more if i can see the words on the page clearly if they're line matched if the pages are easy to flip you know <laughs> all of that is important to me and i i i when i printed consider, by young blood exactly young right? blood he's the man when i consider here comes our train by the way here comes the train again well, what's a nice bible you have right there what, what would you say that is all right, Cody. So you're asking me about my Bible. Yeah, it looks familiar. It does look familiar. Um, so Cody likes to give me really nice Bibles. <laughs> really nice Bibles. I don't so, get any. I, don't, I get something in return, though. Yeah, you did. You, this time you did. Yeah, you got. Yeah. You gave me a uh, another sword for a sword. Sword for a sword. Exactly. Yeah. So real quick, real quick. The reason why I like a really nice Bible is because I, I like heirlooms i think that there's value in passing something down to my kids my grandkids i don't have a lot of i didn't have a great relationship with my grandparents they weren't men of god that i could look up to and and hold them as a role model for me and i don't have heirlooms that are of a lot of value to me from them and before every every household had four bibles most of which are never read there the the family bible was something that was prized like every family had one Bible. Yeah, that was their family possession, and it was sacred. It was not sacred as in holy necessarily, or or. But it was venerated. Not even really venerated. It was just valued so highly. Yeah, valued so highly. Um, and I want to. I think there's value in that. Mm-hmm. I think passing down my values to my kids and my grandkids is something that it's that that's very important to me. So I like having a nice Bible that I can do that with. So Cody gave me, or traded me a, uh, this is the... Um, ESV Omega Heirloom. Yeah, the Crossway ESV Omega Heirloom. Yeah, and, and black goat skin. And I love this Bible. <laughs> I love this Bible. And I traded him a a uh, very large fixed blade knife for it. So mm-hmm. I think it was a, I think I think it was a fair trade. I think I got the better end of the deal now. <laughs> I don't know, man. I like this Bible. Let me ask you a personal question is the reason why you're so willing to trade this is because you got water on the gilding 
No. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> I, did, I did not. Uh, that stuff to me, the water on the gilding, you can actually you can actually make that go away. I but, was wondering because I was wondering if you kind of thought this was like flawed in, in some no. way. So you <laughs> the word is flawed. <laughs> no, what really uh, honestly is that this is a Bible which has the name heirloom in it, right? And we had been going over the Bible so long and we you got a pit minion. Yeah, I had, a, a, I had the pit minion. Which the, is a baby the Bible. Cambridge pit minion in the uh, calf split. Which is a good Bible, but calf splits usually lose their um, textual rigidity. Rigidity, yeah. Barely within if you use it often, and you were paper's really thin too. Paper's very thin, and you can't really teach from it that well for personal application. But that Bible has large print. It is yeah. a larger Bible. It's thin line, but it has the uh, the workings of something that you want to pass down, even if you get water on the guild art. Absolutely, and um, <laughs> art guild. But the uh, the trade, I just was. I just was for me a no-brainer. Weapons, that is a weapon. Yeah. But um no, I think that if you really value the word of God, you're going to invest some money into it and you want to give it away. Like yeah. you know, Jesus joke here, but it's like grace. You give it away yeah. and you watch what you give away and it's valuable to you and valuable to the person. It's gonna be hard for you to throw that one away. I'm never gonna throw this away. Yeah, you probably don't want to. <laughs> no, I don't. So M- me. Oh, yes. I I read the ESV. When I grew up, I was in quiz team as a teenager, so I would learn chapters at a time for competition, but that was all in the NIV, Mm. 1984, as 2001, the advent of 2001 brought the 2001 translation of the NIV. The much hated. Yeah. It didn't get much better because 2011 came, they completely like boxed up the 1984 translations <laughs> never to be seen again yeah they weren't going to ever print them again yeah they were thrown in a box and put in that like <laughs> warehouse in indiana jones you know where the, gar- the grail is kept it's so very sad that they did that yeah because there there are some suspect verses in that the the gender aspect and how they were trying to be more inclusive yeah and if you get again it's a philosophy issue where they're trying to see the the, 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 they saw a need there that wasn't really there. Yeah, they read into the cultural need and they were trying to respond to it. And there are good reasons for why they may have made a tra- change, maybe, but I don't think so. I think they take some liberties, personally. Because I don't of, like it at all. Because uh, Jesus' teaching on adultery and divorce is particularly interesting when you compare translations. I didn't think beforehand to print them out, but they're... So it's it an alarming in, difference. It is an alarming difference. Uh, humankind. I mean, that's a that's a that's a sorry to throw you off, but they switch from mankind to humankind. And in this particular one, it's uh, instead of a man who uh, divorces his wife and remarries, uh, makes the wife guilty of adultery. Um, they change it to makes her a victim of adultery. Hmm. So hmm. now you may say, oh, well, that sounds better. Virtuous. That sounds virtuous. That but sounds like something I can agree with. But it changes the the meaning, the meaning, and it changes the original. It changes the translation from the original manuscript to make it culturally appropriate. Dial that back. I didn't trust it anymore. I wanted something that I could read that was easier to read and that was more faithful to the original so manuscript. Translation and not a interpretation. Exactly. That's why I stuck with the ESV, and then my darling wife, while she was working at Lifeway, as a Christmas Three present, plug, man. Uh, while we were dating, she gave it to me as a uh, six months anniversary present. She wrote uh, not she an anniversary, a six months whatever month month anniversary, uh, and she you know put a little note in there, and it's, you'll keep that. That's, I that's will an heirloom, keep that. you know. Yeah, my wife, she she takes giving Bibles seriously. She prays over every Bible she gives to somebody. That's awesome. We we actually ended up giving Bibles to my brother and my brother's in law for Christmas, and we prayed over those Bibles. It was really excellent. It, she she actually embossed my name on the front herself. That's nice. cool. Herself. Always give away oh, high quality Bibles. With a little, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Always give away high co- high quality Bibles. That's what you told me. But, sure, man. But it's awesome that we get to sit here and talk about these particular uh, things that we like about Bibles, because it never used to be this convenient. Right. And one of the things I want to leave us on is just the history of the English translations of the Bible. You have to go back to the 1300s. 
1384 before English-speaking people could see the Bible in English. It was, at that point in time, the Catholic Church's tradition and authority that it should only be in Latin. Are you telling me that there's disadvantages to the church and the state being one? (laughs) (laughs) There are. There are disadvantages. And like you being burned things... at the stake and stuff like that? Yeah. You Your have... bones being unearthed <laughs> and then, yeah. Funny you bring that up because that leads into John Wycliffe, yeah. John Wycliffe, because uh, he was a man who was part of the clergy of the Catholic Church. As he read the, the Bible, because he was a learned man, mm-hmm. he read the Latin Vulgate and what he came up with completely challenged everything about the Catholic Church to the point where he came to the conclusion that the English-speaking people needed an English translation to read from so that they could no longer be under the control of the authority of the Pope, Amen. but that they would be under the authority of the Scriptures as God intended. So that led him to... He must have gotten that from his Bible. <laughs> <laughs> to initiate the translation it's from the Latin, Gal- uh, the Latin Vulgate into Middle English, which is not our modern English. It's not even King James. It's very difficult to read. Mm-hmm. But at that point in time, that was the common tongue. Uh, so he did this uh, in 1384 uh, with, uh, with John Purvey, was his assistant. He died in 1388 on New Year's Eve as he was giving a sermon. He had a stroke and he died. Wow. That's I did not know that. Yeah. He, but up until this point, he kept writing treatises against um, the authority of the Pope and against uh, transubstantiation. This man was a powerhouse in right. just using logic and reason and grammar and the scriptures to combat a lot of what the Catholic Church declared to be authoritative. Mm. He tore it apart. But he wasn't martyred. He he actually wasn't declared a heretic until after he died. Forty three years after he died. So like um uh, he died in 1384. He was declared a heretic by the Council of <laughs> Constance in 1415. Fake news. <laughs> and this is how intense it was. His remains were dug up in 1428. His remains were burned and his ashes were thrown into the River Swift. This was 44 years after his death. You are doing something right at that point. <laughs> you are ruffling some feathers. So he wasn't actually considered a reformer because the Protestant movement didn't happen until uh, you know Martin Luther, but he was considered the morning star of the Reformation. This man, he inspired a man called William Tyndale. William Tyndale... He was the first to print the Bible in common English. Um, and so he was so good at what he did. And he, he was actually the first to go back to the Hebrew and Greek texts. He was so good at what he did that a large percentage of his translations were pulled from to go into the KJV 1611 translation. There are some estimates that uh, 84% of the New Testament and 75% percent of the old testament were his translations in the in the kjv um so so he printed this he printed this mass production printed the new testament in 1526 and it it was met with huge huge opposition and this wasn't where he he aired he aired in publicly decrying henry the eighth's annulment uh, and going after Henry VIII, well, that didn't sit well with Henry VIII. So he he put a bolo out on him, hmm. and uh, eventually he was betrayed, handed over to the authorities. Uh, and then, so in 13, 1535, he was arrested, tried on a charge of heresy and convicted. And then in 1536, he was set up, stripped, tied to a pole, in public view, he was strangled to death, and his body was then burned. But his last words at the stake were, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Two years later, the same king authorized the production of what is known as the Great Bible, and this pulled heavily from Tyndale's work. 
Jeez. So while we can appreciate, you know, the finer things of, of the Bible, men have bled and died so that we could know the true revelation of God. So what do you do with that? Yeah. I mean, I, I Googled martyrs of the Reformation and a Wikipedia page came up with, let's see how many names here. There's like, there's over a hundred names here, you know, of, of men that were burned and killed for what they were saying about the Catholic Church. I mean, Thomas Hilton, Thomas Bennett, Thomas Bilney, Richard Bayfield, um, John Bent, you know, the names mm. just go on and on. And these men desired to have the scriptures. After John Wycliffe, it became a crime punishable by death to possess an English translation of the scriptures. The church of that age didn't want the normal person to have scriptures, they did, and women. If you want to talk about some sexism, the Catholic church did not want women to have the Bible. Right. They didn't want laity because they considered it throwing pearls before swine. Mm. But here's my point, is that if the average American household has four Bibles in their house, then it's not that God has lost any power. It's that men have ignored God and they do not value his word and his revelation, and they do not apply it to his li their lives, because that is why you are not seeing fruit. You reap what you sow, and if you do not sow, you cannot reap. These, if we're sitting on four translations of the Bible, never open them except it may be Christmas to, to find like something that sounds happy, never understand the gospel, never preach the gospel, then... Then having these translations, it's it doesn't mean anything. It's at that useless. Point. Yeah, it's yeah. useless. So then, what do you do with that? That's my challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, in concluding or closing statements um, within the Shieldwall Bible studies, some of the things that I think we argue for is uh, biblical literacy, expository preaching, expository teaching from the Word of God through a verse by verse or a chapter by chapter understanding it in context of a Bible that is faithfully representing the words that are most closely associated with the original language. That would be, for us in this group, we're probably more of a word-for-word, -word, you said ESV, you said ESV, NSAB. I'm going to agree with what all of you guys have said. I go to the Thought for Thoughts every now and then to, I, not anymore as much as I used to when I was first coming to my uh, understanding of Scripture, but I go to them to evaluate what other English words are available for the flow. For flow, yeah. for context. But when I uh, assess like some of the damage of how the church has not been able to um, uh, have, a rig uh, have a passion for the Word of God, is that there is no priority set forth, mm -hmm. primarily at the local church setting, yeah. of the expository preaching or the uh, expository teaching of the Word of God, line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, in a very faithful way. And that leads to your congregation, like sheep, in a good context, they're following what they see as an example. The pastor holding a physical Bible, coming to the pulpit with a Bible, opening up their Bible. May, they may have a tablet or some other means of you mm -hmm. know, um, communication there as well. But they are, uh, they're pointing their people back to the Scripture. They're, they're presenting their people with the Word of God. They're being very clear with what biblical words are and showing them and saying these matter. Justification, propitiation, redemption, uh, they, sanctification, they matter. And we need to understand these words because God has revealed himself specifically. He's using these words. And um, going further into that is just being in the Word, and getting the Word into you, consuming it, having one translation or two translations which you make your home in. Mm -hmm. You you have a translation where you know it's been faithfully interpreted, you know it's been faithfully translated because of the philosophy, wants to honor God, wants to present to you in a text that's worthy to not only pass down to the next generation, but it has faithfully witnessed what other generations have uh, received. And so that's why you have in the beginning of our NSAB and our ESVs uh, that um, sort of homage. homage to the King James Version because it goes back further to Wycliffe and the, uh, the struggle for the Word of God to be exposed in a positive way into the hearts of men so that it might be strengthened. And so 
I think we can end on the note, you've got a Bible, or you have access to a Bible. Everyone does. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, if if you have the internet, you have access to a Bible, and if you don't have the internet, you have access to a library. And if you don't have a library or internet, you know someone who has a Bible. And if you're in the, um, if you're listening to this episode, you've heard what we've had to say about a literal versus a thought for thought. Um, make your own decision up by reading either one of those Bibles, yeah. those those uh, translation philosophies. The uh, the NIV is is something that you can cut your teeth on. I think that you could probably live in the ESV. I think that would be somewhere. Yeah. Uh, a, a nice medium that you could find, but there's more than enough out there for you to chew on. I think you need to start chewing the Word of God yeah. and getting it into you so that we're able to be a people that can present the gospel accurately to this generation that has shifting vernacular, that has shifting language, that the Word of God remains the same. We might communicate it with different forms and style, you know, in our stylistic approach, but when it says that Jesus Christ is who he is, we better be able to say, well, I know why. And you primarily find out why through reading your Bible. Amen. Amen. I'd, uh, my closing, I'd, I'd like to make some recommendations. Go ahead, yeah. Yeah. So I recommend a few books here. Um, the King James Only Controversy by James White um, is something that I'd recommend. He, he kind of pieces apart and, and, and talks about the King James Bible and, and the controversy over King James onlyists and people who don't identify as that. Um, I'd recommend a blueletterbible.org. It's a free study resource. You can view all of the major translations. You can view an interlinear feature where you can, where you can view the Greek and the Hebrew word by word, step by step. View um, dictionaries and commentaries. It's an incredible resource. Every time I prepare for a study, I, I use blueletterbible.org. Um, I'd also recommend uh, reading uh, The Unity of the Bible by Daniel Fuller, as well as Scripture Alone, Exploring the Bible's Accuracy, Authority, and Authenticity by James White. Yeah. Fantastic. James White's the guy for Bible <laughs> translations, let me tell you. Yeah, if you get a running theme here, it would be that we pull a lot from what James James White has has done. I think he, he's He does he's things a good stage. so well. Even and bow ties. I, I, he... he you know, he pulls those off. So I well. identify with him because and both the uh, the dome. You got the dome in common too. <laughs> Sixteen eighty nine London Baptist Confession. He holds to that. So I, I see some credence there as well. All right, right, guys. Well, it's been a good episode. We've talked a lot about uh, Bible translations. A lot. A lot. A lot. <laughs> We've talked a lot about Bible translations and given some great information. Once again, if any of you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. We are at Gmail, so you can hit us up at uh, Shieldwall Ministries at gmail.com. Shieldwall Ministries we're at also on, Gmail. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. Instagram, Facebook. I think you just have to check out Shieldwall Discipleship yeah. on both one, both those. We'll be releasing more podcasts to come, guys. Really big topics we're going to talk through. So if you like us, if you like our down-to-earthness. Conversational style conversational. podcast. Or yeah. you just want to tell your friends about us. We're sometimes literal. We're sometimes thought for thought. <laughs> Yeah, we're essentially dudes. (laughs) So thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you guys. And uh, hold the line. Hold the line. Thank you for listening to the Shield Wall Podcast. Our goal is to glorify Christ and strengthen the hearts of men. We've got more episodes on the way. So if you liked what you heard, subscribe and share. For more info and articles, visit our website, shieldwalldiscipleship.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search for Shield Wall Discipleship. Thanks again, and until next time, hold the line.